Welcome, listeners, to a special interlude episode of The Long Box of Darkness, where we'll be looking at a classic tale of comic book horror in the vampire vein. EC Comics' Tales from the Crypt number 35, Midnight Miss. Greetings, listeners. Uh, welcome back to the show. It's been a while, but I'm here with a special little interlude episode that I thought would segue nicely into our uh, next full-length show, which will be available later on in the week. And uh, we're specifically looking at an EC Comics tale here from the Vault of Horror, um, Tales from the Crypt number 35, introduced by the old witch as the horror host in this particular issue. And this was published in uh, April to May of 1935, written by Al Feldstein and with art by Joe Orlando. And if I'm not mistaken, Bill Gaines also had a hand in crafting the plot. So this is a tale of vampires, uh, possibly one of my favorite monsters in film, novels, and comic books. But uh, the reason I picked this particular story is because of an introduction uh, to one of my favorite novels of all time, which is Stephen King's Salem's Lot. And bear with me, listeners, because this will lead, at least in theme, lead into our next full-length show, like I mentioned. And I'll uh, hint at what's coming in that show later on, what we're going to be talking about in the main segment. But um, suffice it to say that this introduction that Stephen King wrote to his novel of Sal Salem's Lot um, which is the first introduction he first wrote when the novel was published in the in 1975. Um, this introduction mentioned the fact that he used to love reading the EC horror comic stories, particularly this tale, which is Midnight Miss. And um, this is the tale that inspired him to write vampire fiction. Although, I must mention, he was also a big fan of the novel Dracula, which he read very early on in his youth. Um, as evidenced by um, Don's Macabre, the book he wrote on horror. And he um, admits that he used to be a big comic book consumer back, back in the day when he was a kid. But he also loved the novel Dracula. So this um, uh, goes uh, adds to the theory that I have, and I, I guess some other people must have. I, I think this is the truth, that he actually was influenced to write Salem Slot because of these two stories, Dracula and this tale, Midnight Mess, from the EC Horror Comics, uh, The Vault of Horror and Tales from the Crypt. So um, he admits as much in the introduction to Salem's Lot. So this is not just me pulling it out of a hat, but um, it's never truly been confirmed that, you know, this is his only inspiration. But this is what he mentions, at least in Don's Macabre as well. So uh, we're going off that theory 
And um, what King mentions in the introduction is that uh, the vampires presented in Tales from the Crypt uh, were a different breed of vampire altogether than the European ones that we had gotten used to in literature and film. This was an Americanized type of vampire, an American vampire, if you will. So um, I think comic book fans out there might now already know which comic book I will be focusing on in, in the next full-length uh, episode. But um, King described them as American vampires because they're businessmen, they open up storefronts, they open up shops that cater to vampires' needs, much like we do. They have uh, vampires with specific jobs related to um, different aspects of the vampire economy. And um, that part, uh, obviously, vampires living the American dream, that part really uh, interested me when I first read about it in, in Salem Slot, in the introduction at least. And the vampires in Salem Slot, Barlow, um, he's very much like that. He's the embodiment of an American businessman. Even though he's from Europe, from the old world, he has certainly um, adjusted to the American way of life, so to speak. So let's get into the comic book itself, though. Um, Midnight Miss. As story starts off with a man called Harold Bloom, who has uh, recently arrived in a small village where he's um, intending to visit his sister Donna. Now Donna's unmarried, and she lives alone in this small village, but she's recently um, arrived there. She hasn't been there that long, so Harold has decided, you know, he's on his way to the coast, he might as well pop in since it's on the way, and see his little sister. Uh, but he notices something strange about this village right off the bat. We um, get some narration from the old witch, who's the horror host, and she tells us that in this particular story, uh, it's five o'clock um, as Harold uh, walks through the streets of this little village. And the village streets are already deserted at this hour, which Harold finds very strange. Um, and it seems that sundown normally occurs here at about 6.30, six, uh, between 6, 6.30 and 7. So um, he meets some uh, random villager walking past, and he asks the villager, um, would you know where this particular address is? Uh, I'm visiting my sister and I don't know where to go. There's no taxi cabs around. There's no other form of public transportation. Please help me out. And the old villager says, well, you better hurry. Uh, I'll give you directions, but it's almost sundown. You don't want to be caught out um, after uh, the sun's gone down. You better hurry. So Harold decides, all right, um, there's something strange about this town, but he'll, uh, he'll follow the old man's advice and the old man mentions vampires, so uh, right off the bat, Harold dismisses him as crazy. So thinking of nothing more than senility on the part of the old man, Harold does um, move slowly through the streets. Um, that's an understatement. He takes his time. He obviously doesn't believe any of the dangers that the villager presented to him. So he's entranced by this little town, even though his first description of it was, uh, what a dead-looking place which is strangely apt, if you get my meaning. Um, and this village is, is very quaint. It's got little cobbled streets, um, old Victorian-style houses. Um, even though it's definitely said somewhere in the, the, the States, we don't particularly know where. They never mention the name of the city, but Harold um, constantly describes it as a burg. What a burg. 
And um, obviously, uh, using the patois of the 1950s. Um, so he's, he's quite enraptured by this little village, even though he sees it as primitive, since he's obviously from the big city. He seems to be a type of businessman. He's dressed in a suit with a coat. And he's a little bit arrogant. He looks down on these people that, you know, have these superstitious notions, uh, which he doesn't agree with. So as he uh, makes his progress through the uh, town, he sees this restaurant and he fancies a bite to eat. So he goes in, but the waiter refuses to serve him because he says, sir, it's almost uh, six o'clock in the evening and um, it's going to be sundown soon. That's when the vampires come out. You better leave and, you know, go indoors somewhere because we're closing. And Harold is uh, understandably upset. Um, he sees this as a refusal to serve him, but um, he gets uh, shunted out the door and then he asks for directions again and the waiter directs him towards his sister Donna's house. So he arrives at Donna's house and Donna is so surprised that Harold was out after the sun had set because now it's past six, um, twilight, and uh, she's uh, understandably frightened because Donna has been living in this village for a while. She believes the threat of vampires as well. And she goes on to tell Harold that um, 17 people have been murdered and found drained of their blood. So what else could it be? It has to be vampires, right? So Harold says, no, no, it could be a maniac of some sort. Come on. And she says, well, believe what you want. Just stay indoors. Don't go out and uh, you'll be safe. But that night, Harold finds himself quite restless. He can't go to sleep and he's hungry. So he decides to take a walk after midnight. Big mistake, Harold. And um, he keeps thinking to himself, vampires, mm, there's not a soul out. And they sure roll this town up tighter than a drum after dark. But then he sees one source of light on the street, and it turns out to be the restaurant that he was at earlier that refused him service. And some people are entering this restaurant, and Harold thought, hey, great, they open up after midnight. Uh, this is strange. They said they'd be closing at 6. So he enters the restaurant, and he sees lots of diners sitting around tables, well-dressed people. And the waiter comes over to ask him what he would like to order. And he says, um, whatever you have will be fine. Um, what's on the menu? And the waiter says, juice, soup, roast with French fries, coffee, sherbet, that kind of thing. And uh, Harold says, okay, bring me all of that. I'm very hungry. Um, and the first uh, item he receives, the libation, is a type of red drink. Okay, so you see where this is going, listeners. And Harold says, ah, tomato juice. And the waiter is offended. And he says, very funny, sir. And uh, he obviously thinks Harold's humor is in poor taste, but Harold wasn't trying to crack a joke there. Uh, Harold sips it, but he says it tastes very salty and uh, too thin for his taste, but the waiter's watching him, so he has to finish it. So the waiter's looking at him in a suspicious way, but also the way that Joe Orlando draws this waiter is quite sinister. He's got these uh, withered lips, this, these, this piercing stare, but this thick head of white hair and uh, this imperious look in his eyes as he stares down at Harold. Then Harold gets his soup. Um, he describes it as bouillon, um, but it's the strangest tasting bouillon he's ever had, richer than he's used to. And then the waiter asks him a disturbing question. He says, sir, how would you like your roast clots? Well done or medium? And Harold's, what are you talking about? Roast what? And the waiter's now uh, catching on to who Harold really is. And the waiter's saying, 
clots, roast blood clots. How would you like them? Say, who are you, sir? <laughs> and then Harold spits out the soup that he's been drinking. He says, blood, oh my lord, choke. And then the waitress screams at everybody, draw the curtain, there's an intruder in our midst. And um, it turns out that the waiter and all the clientele are in fact vampires dining at a vampire restaurant. And they trap Harold in the restaurant. And for some reason, probably for dramatic or melodramatic reasons, they draw a curtain um, in the, 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 the room and there's a mirror behind the curtain. And Harold, Harold looks straight at this mirror and he only sees himself, his own reflection in this mirror. Um, everybody else is strangely ab absent in the reflection. So meaning that they're vampires and he immediately catches on and says, Oh my Lord, the rest of you are all vampires and they bear their fangs and leer at him and suddenly become all hunchbacked and evil looking. And they completely transform. They lose the, the sense of, uh, gentility that they were displaying earlier. And, uh, it turns out that uh, there's a familiar face among the vampires, Donna, his sister, and he says, Donna, what are you doing here? And she says, I'm a vampire too, Harold. I came here because it's the only place where I could be safe and um, among good company. So you shouldn't have come out. You shouldn't have left the house. You should have heeded my advice because now I can't save you. And he says, but, but what, what's up with this restaurant? How can vampires be dining in a restaurant? She says, well, in the old days, Harold, vampires hunted their own food. They prepared it themselves. But, you know... Um, Times have changed. In modern times, they have specific vampires who do the job of hunting, and then they have the cooks, the people who serve the meals. And this is what uh, has happened in the interim. Uh, their food is now being pre prepared by professionals, qualified professionals. So this restaurant particularly serves things like uh, blood dishes. Vegetarian restaurants serve vegetables. That's how she justifies this. So she says, we serve blood juice cocktails hot blood consomme, roast blood clots, French fried scabs, blood sherbet, and Harold's gagging. Harold's, to, you know, he wants to vomit here because this is all too much for him. And then uh, she says, okay, Harold, I'm sorry, but we can't let you go. Um, we can't let you tell the world about our little establishment here. Uh, there's no saving you. And the other vampires start up a chant um, with their hands in the air singing, bring the tap, bring the tap, bring the tap. Uh, they lift him up bodily, and uh, one vampire has this spigot in his hand, which is obviously the tap they were referring to, and they str string him up uh, upside down, and they insert this gruesome-looking tap into his jugular vein. The spigot turns it, and everybody uh, stands in line, and each of them gets to drink a glass of Harold's blood. And... <laughs> And the old witch ends by saying, and so Harold was strung up, head down. The tap was inserted into his juggler vein, and each of the vampires came one by one and filled its glass. And some of these vampires are saying, nothing like the real stuff. And then uh, the old witch ends with, uh, that's the story, kiddies. That's what civilized vampires do these days. They dine in blooditarian restaurants, open sundown to sunrise. <laughs> And uh, um, the old witch goes on to say that, you know, every now and then a sucker walks into this establishment and becomes um, and gets put on the menu. So a very, very interesting little story about uh, vampires in a small town 
that have their own restaurants. And rather than drinking from barrels, they drink from human barrels uh, with, with spigots inserted into our veins. Um, and Stephen King loved the story. I love the story, too. The art is great. Joe Orlando's obviously a master of form, especially the female form. He draws Donna very alluringly. And um, uh, the vampires are disturbing and frightening, to say the least, uh, especially once um, they've realized they don't have to hide their appearance anymore. They've all got these cracked and withered old faces with um, uh, massive fangs and uh, long clawed hands. And they look young when you first see them dining in the restaurant. But as soon as they assume their vampiric forms... They uh, look decidedly old and um, sort of like withered. Um, and that's their true form that's on display. So it's definitely a grotesque form of vampirism, but it adds to the horror of the story. So check this out. Um, if you can find any of the back issues, you are probably very, very rich. But if you can't do that, you can find this in the EC Tales of the Crypt collection from Dark Horse, Volume 5. And you can also find it on, I think it's available on Comixology, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'm sorry, this is the EC Archives, Tales from the Crypt, Volume 4, specifically Volume 4. And um, yeah, I've, I've just uh, seen it is available on Comixology. So treat yourself to a tale of vampires um, dining out, so to speak. All right, listeners, that's it for this week's episode. Please tune in for the next full-length episode where we'll be discussing that something that links to this tale that we've just looked at, which is Scott Snyder and Raphael Albuquerque's American Vampire. If you want to leave any comments or feedback, you can do so um, by sending me an email to uh, darklongbox at gmail.com. That's darklongbox at gmail.com. You can also reach me on Twitter at darklongbox. Or check out the blog at www.longboxofdarkness.com. I'd appreciate that. Okay, listeners, that's it for me. Um, read some EC comics. And pleasant screams until we meet again. <laughs>